is it a kind of convenience that the source of all great and moral good in the universe is this eternal divine king and the source of all evil is the rebel is the revolutionaries i feel like certain people benefit from the assumptions that are built into that story and those values you're listening to let's be omnist the show where we are celebrating spiritual diversity one truth and one story at a time I'm your host, Michael Anthony, spiritual life coach and intuitive reader from thedivinerlife.com. Hello, hello, and welcome to the final episode, number 22 of season two. I've had an incredible time chatting with so many amazing people, and I have loved hearing all of the stories that you've had to share. But I'm also now looking forward to the conversations to come in season three. If you're curious about what is coming next and you'd like to get some exclusive content as well, head on over to thedivinerlife.com slash podcast to learn about becoming a podcast patron. Today, I'm really excited to be ending season two on episode 22 with my first ever two guest episode. (laughs) Today, we are chatting all about everything satanic with Simone and Daniel, two of three hosts from the podcast Black Mass Appeal. Black Mass Appeal is a podcast that discusses modern Satanism, its history, left-leaning political activism, and how Satanism relates to current events in pop culture. Simone, Daniel, and their third podcast host, Tabitha, who unfortunately couldn't join us today, are all members of the Satanic Temple, but they do not speak on behalf of that organization. In fact, the three of them work most closely with Satanic Bay Area, which is a grassroots, atheistic, satanic group based in and around San Francisco. I'm happy that I had this opportunity to sit down and talk with Simone and Daniel today because there is a lot more to Satanism than one would assume. For those of you who may be hesitant to listen because of your predetermined ideas of what it means to be a Satanist or because of fear or dislike, towards anything that has to do with the devil, I can totally relate. I used to be one of those people, and I can guarantee you that you will be pleasantly surprised with what they have to say. Daniel and Simone are two of the kindest souls that I have ever spoken to, and they are very inspiring. So give it a chance, come and listen, see what they have to say. Now go ahead and grab yourself a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, a cup of whatever you'd like, because in the spirit of truth and honesty, here's my conversation with Black Mass Appeal. All right, so welcome, Daniel and Simone, to Let's Be Omnist. I am so excited to have you both here. How are you doing this evening? Thank you. We're excited to be here. Um, You know, we're doing okay, considering the circumstances. (laughs) Uh, You know, the whole shelter-in-place thing, but otherwise doing fine. (laughs) I'm a little hungry, but other than that, nothing to report. Uh, That is always the case with me. I think hungry is just an understood uh, emotion when it comes to me. So, I haven't had to break into the emergency rations yet, so the situation mm, is still I don't have any of those left. Uh, those are all gone. <laughs> you had a lot of emergencies. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I consider hunger an emergency. <laughs> so um, just to clarify for the listeners, uh, you guys are from the show Black Mass Appeal. And I wanted to bring you on today to kind of chit-chat a bit about what exactly Satanism is. So before we dive into that, I do play a fun game of two truths and a lie. Uh, I haven't played it with two guests before, but I'm totally down oh. if you guys are willing to play. Okay. 
but it's just standard rules. Share two truths, one lie about yourself, and then I will do my best to figure it out. Okay. Uh, does anyone want to go first? I, think um, I can go. Okay. Whenever you're ready. Okay. So the first one is, uh, I am the voice of a talking spatula. Okay. Um, then I, uh, was a Jeopardy contestant. And finally, uh, I shared a boxing trainer with Ryan Gosling. Wow. For uh, off the top of your head, these are all both, or they are all very surprising and um, super interesting. Uh, I'm going to say that your lie is you had the same boxing coach as Ryan Gosling. That's actually true. Interesting. Okay, so what, is, <laughs> what then is the lie? The lie is just a slight lie because I'm not the voice of a talking spatula. I'm the voice of a talking thermometer. And you are the voice of a talking thermometer where on the internet, hopefully? Um, I actually, I think I have one. It's from an old job that I used to have. Um, we made kitchenware and we had a talking thermometer. The sample came back from the factory and the voice was unintelligible. So I had to re-record everything. That is so interesting. I was really hoping <laughs> you were going to tell me it was like a kid's TV show or something. Because I was like please let me watch this kid's TV show where the thermometer is voiced by Satanist. Oh no, they won't it. let me anywhere near kids. <laughs> that would be so great. Um, and so Daniel, what about you? Give me a second. I'm having trouble thinking of a good lie. You take your time. Do we get one out of you? You know, I haven't played since episode zero, since my intro episode. This is kind of a challenge. I, would totally, I will totally play if you would like to try. Well, I figured we could do that and vamp for, for Daniel. <laughs> yeah, not a problem. So um, I, oh, okay. Let me think about this for a second. I will say I, my imaginary friend growing up uh, turned out to not be an imaginary friend and in fact, a spirit guide. Mm. Um, the first time, okay, so that's first one. Second one, the first time I heard the voice of God uh, he told me to take off my shoes. And the third one would be, I have been reading tarot for over a decade. Hmm. I'm going to say it's the second one. Incorrect. Oh. <laughs> it is actually the third one. Um, I have only been reading tarot for about eight years. Um, but yeah, first uh, experience, like spiritual experience that I had beyond childhood. Um, I was playing piano in a church by myself and I had this very uncomfortable, loud, booming voice that was like, take off your shoes. And I kind of chuckled and was like, who am I, Moses? What is <laughs> happening right now? Um, but I like had this urge to walk out of the sanctuary and take my shoes off and come back into the room. It was super weird. Which I'm sure, and interestingly enough, is probably something that you're like, yeah, okay, uh, whatever you say. Um, okay, I mean, everyone's <laughs> experience is their own experience. Okay, I'm ready for you. Are you cool. ready? Yes, I am okay. totally ready. Uh, number one, within the last two years, I have had an old woman throw holy water in my face. 
Number two, within the last two months, I have eaten ostrich as a topping on a pizza. Or number three, uh, Jane Lynch once made me cry at work. Oh, I'm really hoping that's the truth, the Jane Lynch one, because I would love to hear that story. So I'm going to say your lie is the one about ostrich pizza. That is correct. Uh, It was close, but it turns out they were out of the ostrich pizza. I had the alligator instead. So trying to lie (laughs) close to the truth. Both of which ingredients you actually find in uh, jerky outlets here in Central Florida everywhere. So I personally am not super surprised by ostrich and gator, um, Mm -hmm. but I would like to know if you enjoyed the gator. Oh, yeah, actually, it's quite spicy. Okay. (laughs) And Jane Lynch yelled at you why? Oh, um, about five years ago, she was doing a one-woman show in San Francisco, and I interviewed her for work. That was one of the things that I did in those days was show business interviews, and usually they go really well. This one, I tried to joke around with her a little bit to liven things up because she's a comedian, and you know yeah. sometimes that's a smart thing to do to, to make people comfortable in an interview, and she was not having it at all. And I tried to change I, I immediately changed directions because when jane lynch is mad at you you hop to it but i don't know that that as soon as we got off on the wrong foot she soured on the entire thing she hung up on me after after only a couple of minutes of talking to her and i was just i was distraught because like i've got a deadline i've got to do this i told one shitty joke and the whole thing fell to pieces and it was actually what i ended up writing was just a transcript almost of the entire conversation of her losing her patience with me, which mm-hmm. was, that was the only thing that I had to work with. And then actually the readers liked it a lot. It was one of the most read things on the site that week. And my editor thought it was hilarious. And I don't know what her or her rep thought about it because I never heard from them again. Wow. All right. Well, <laughs> Jane Lynch, if you hear my show, um, I promise it's okay. You can totally keep listening. Um, also, I now have serious pressure. Um, on my interviewing skills. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> for, for the record, for the record, I have always heard that she is a very nice and personable individual when you actually meet her. That was not my experience, but everybody's got a weird day. Obviously. Everybody has their experience. Yes. As Simone was saying earlier too. So that's gonna probably be a good theme for the rest of our topic today. Um, so why don't you two, in whatever uh, back and forth way you feel is most comfortable for you, kind of explain a little bit about who you are and what you do and kind of what's your thing. Okay. Well, so uh, Daniel and I are two of the administrators for Satanic Bay Area, which is an independent grassroots Satanic community here in you know California, San Francisco Bay Area. Um, we're missing our, our co-host of Black Mass Appeal, uh, Tabitha, who is an administrator along with us. Uh, and the three of us host Black Mass Appeal, which is a podcast that talks about modern Satanism, um, introducing it to people who are still learning about it, and then also diving in deeper for people who are more involved in the community. We founded uh, Satanic Bay Area, originally called Satanic San Francisco, on Halloween night 2015. And it started off just as a small group of friends pursuing their own interests. And since then, it has grown into a much larger grassroots community that is active uh, in all nine Bay Area counties and helps provide uh, community and structure and fellowship 
and uh, education and activism all in a satanic vein for our members and for the cities that we live in. Okay. We started Black Mass Appeal in 2018. Originally, it was just a way of kind of putting ourselves out there. We, especially I, was always a little bit guarded about protecting our privacy and our anonymity because even though we live in the Bay Area, we really never had any kind of hassle about being Satanists. There are crazy people out there. So we wanted to find some way that would communicate to the world who we are and what we were doing, but still keep some basic privacy safeguards in place. And a podcast is a great way to do that because it's voice only. We don't necessarily have to divulge any information about ourselves that we don't want to. And from there, it's grown in ways that I don't think we necessarily expected. Mm. And what I really love is that you're using words like community and support and communion. And I know that as someone who, as I explained a little bit ago, kind of grew up in a super evangelical Christian church where we were speaking in tongues and casting out devils and all sorts of that fun stuff. Those are not words that generally uh, I would have associated at an earlier point in my life with Satanists. Um, So but where do you think is probably the best start to explain to people a little bit more about exactly what a Satanist is? Well, um, there are different, I mean, I like to say that there's as many kinds of Satanism as there are Satanists. It is actually a very individualistic religion. Mm. Um, but you know, you look at some kind of older versions of Satanism that hold the self as, you know, one's own God and, you know, the self is the most important. And, you know, in modern Satanism, you still have uh, a lot of, you know, protect yourself first. Um, But it's also in your self-interest to help your community. And it's gratifying to find people to, you know, talk with and and do things with and it improves the world you live in to do you know community service so um i guess you could say uh satanism uh as we practice it anyway is still selfish but there's good side effects Hmm. my answer is always that as simone says there are as many different kinds of satanists as there satanism as there are satanists and so it is very, very difficult to get a single, simple answer to that. I guess the strictly accurate dictionary academic style definition of Satanism would be that it's a, an intentional religious reverence for the figure of Satan, uh, usually metaphorically as a symbol, although in some cases, some people believe it's an actual spiritual uh, entity that they might label with that name. Um, and that's really the only commonalities that you can find between these different practices to give you an idea of how varied these ideas are. If you look, take two prominent satanic groups, you've got the Church of Satan, and their current head describes that as, quote, a brutal religion of elitism and social Darwinism that wants to do away with the social safety net and, you know, return the world to what they see as a, as a natural order where the weak die off and only the strong remain. Whereas... Compare that to the Satanic Temple, where their co-founder says that their intent is to inspire people to noble thoughts and pursuits and actions and to encourage ideas like compassion and empathy and wisdom and justice. Mm. Night and fuck, those are both Satanism, weirdly enough, even though what in the world do they have in common other than the word Satan? I couldn't tell you. (laughs) Well, that certainly explains some of the confusion that's out there, because if everyone... 
uh, within Satanism is using, you know, the word Satanist, but then they're not clarifying for people or people don't understand the difference between the two. I'm, uh, I'm already, I feel better, <laughs> you know what I mean? Knowing yeah. that there's, there's such a vast difference. Um, so can you clarify which one of those two, I'm, I believe you already said, but which one of those two you guys belong to? Um, well, Daniel and I are both uh, members of the Satanic Temple as uh, an international organization. Satanic Bay Area is not a chapter. Um, we are independent. But I think the both of us were gravitating towards um, the Satanic Temple's seven tenets, uh, which, you know, talk about compassion and autonomy over one's body and, um, you know, hewing to science and not trying to warp it to fit your beliefs. Um, and then another kind of important distinction to make, and you know, Church of Satan, older Satanists, uh, they tend to be atheistic as well, but um, the Satanic Temple and kind of the similar uh, groups are atheistic. So we don't believe in God. And by extension, we don't believe in the devil. We use the devil as a metaphor or a story. The big difference is, is that we know it's fiction. And we also, you know, don't get into anything supernatural, no, no magic, you know. Um, however, for Satanic Bay Area, we don't police our members' beliefs. So if that's what they want to do on their own time, then that's cool. We do have like, you know, witches and Wiccans and pagans. But um, as a group, we focus on atheistic Satanism. And mm. uh, yes, that's, that's an important distinction. I, I say most of the Satanists you'll meet are atheists, but not all of them. There's a lot of diversity of those opinions as well. There's another local group uh, in, based in San Francisco whom we're friends with and work with occasionally who are theistic Satanists who believe in any number of supernaturalisms that most of us just don't. Um, you will, and, and so you will meet people who are, uh, you know, materialist, atheist, agnostic, uh, very, very, very hidebound uh, naturalists, and then you will also meet Satanists who, uh, you know, talk to demons and practice witchcraft, and, you know, some people, some Satanists practice magic. Uh, others say that, some people practice magic and say that it's a super, you know, supernatural uh, witchcrafty power. Other people say, oh, I do magic, but magic is, is not supernatural. Magic is just psychology. Um, and then you've got people like me who say it's like, these distinctions give me a headache. I don't want anything to do with that. Again, it's very difficult <laughs> to do these questions just because of the the spectrum of potential answers is almost mm -hmm. as wide as there are people to ask it. Um, to give you an example, we've got one friend who was one of our very early SBA members and whom we still see from time to time. And she describes herself that she is both a Christian and a pagan and a Luciferian all at the same time. And for a long time, I didn't necessarily understand how she even reconciled those ideas, although it was also none of my business. When we finally had her on the podcast on Black Mass Appeal, she explained that her belief structure, she says, like, I don't know if these things are real. I don't know if Jesus or Satan or these gods are real, but I know that praying to them and that having my belief in them and having those religious elements in my life makes my life better. It makes me feel better. And that works for me. And my reaction was, oh, okay, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of uh, my show is it's, you know, whatever your truth is, is like true for you. So I'm really happy to hear that you're experiencing the same things in um, a space that tends to be more, more of an atheist feel uh, because it's, it's, 
uh, very resonant for me just to be like, hey, even people who identify as an atheist understand the concept that like if it works for you, it works for you. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're running around spewing hatred at people who do believe in something. Uh, yeah, so I, you know, I, um, before I was a Satanist, I was a, an atheist. And I was kind of turned off by the community because I felt that there was a lot of condescension um, towards people who just believe differently. And when I came into Satanism, I found that people were actually much more tolerant, um, you know, just way more live and let live, like you do you, you know, do what you want as long as it doesn't affect me. Um, so yeah, Satanists are more tolerant. <laughs> I really appreciate um, that. People who listen to our show have heard me personally. I struggle with that an awful lot because, again, I was talking about all these diversity of opinions. Maybe talk about just me again. I am an atheist and a materialist, and I have what I would like to think is a very rationalist view of the world, although I guess everybody says that, don't they? Um, <laughs> And I, I sometimes have conflicts about that. On the one hand, both for, for practical and philosophical reasons, you need to practice tolerance of, of the people around you. Um, but on the other hand, there are some things that we cannot tolerate. And so there, there's, there's these arguments that you will have in circles sometimes where it's like, if people believe irrational things, will they behave irrationally? Well, yes, sometimes they will. Sometimes that's destructive, but not all the time. Where right. is the line between a belief that I find unreasonable that I should object to and a belief that I should just leave lie? Like some people make an argument where they say any irrational thought, any wrong thing you believe is potentially dangerous and we should draw a very firm line on that. And that's a very logically consistent and internally consistent argument. And I kind of envy the people who feel like they can take that position. But just looking at my <laughs> life, I would say that would, turn into a, that would turn into a mess. That would turn into you would get nothing done that way and <laughs> so many people and you could feel good about yourself, I guess, but you wouldn't be getting any work done. So um, I often have personal struggles over where I come down on the sides of those conflicts. And I guess if I get a really good answer, I'll let you know, but so far, <laughs> in the air. So that's really uh, interesting because it leads into my next question, which is when you are making those decisions, when you are kind of, you know, deciding where do I come down on this line. Um, Simone had mentioned that there were seven tenets of some kind. Do those come into play for you when you are making those uh, decisions of like, where am I going to come down on this? Um, oh gosh, I can't remember them all off the top of my head. Daniel will be able to recite them. Um, <laughs> but uh, the reason that I was interested in the Satanic Temple at first was reading the tenets already lined up with my personal beliefs like you didn't have to change a word i'm like yep got it check yep got it check so um when i am faced with kind of you know decision making i just still go with my own instincts knowing that it matches you know my satanic beliefs do you want to hear what the seven tenets are by the way for the benefit of uh, listeners who do not know I would absolutely yeah, I think you love should, that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> all right. I'm going to do my best to get them all right. Uh, one thing we should qualify here, by the way, like I said, Simone and I are members of the Stang Temple individually, but SBA is not uh, directly affiliated with them, and we're not any kind of spokesperson on the behalf of the larger institution. They get sensitive about that, I think, understandably so. I think they maybe mm. had some trouble with bad actors a few years ago who uh, claimed to represent them without checking with anybody and got into trouble. So now they come down kind of hard on that. So we always have to give that disclaimer, actually on every show that we do. Anyway, so these are the seven tenets. 
Uh, number one, one should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. Uh, number two, the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. Number three, one's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. People really like that one, but it's also one that gets debated a lot. Mm. Uh, number four, the freedom of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach on the freedoms of others is to forego one's own. That one gets contentious, by the way. Number five, beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. We should never distort science to fit our beliefs. Uh, number six, people are fallible. If we make mistakes, we should do the best to rectify them and fix any harm that we might have caused. And finally, number seven, every tenet is a guiding principle to inspire nobility in action and thought. Compassion, wisdom, and justice should prevail over the written word. I think I got those very close to precisely correct, but not, I probably screwed up a few words here and there because I always did. But did I think you just recite that people. from memory? Um, yes. Mostly. Dang, Daniel. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I always have to look at my membership card in my wallet. It has it printed on the back. Well, here's the thing. Like, I looked at it right before we did this because I knew it was going to come up. And also, like, we had these conversations a lot. So um, there are also, I know, people who sometimes do that as kind of a mantra, which um, I haven't, I do not do because I don't have the patience for that. But maybe it's not a bad idea. Um, so those are the seven tenets. Uh, one thing that I like to point out, and we talked about this on a recent BMA episode, is the fact that they're tenets, they're not commandments, uh, they are not hard and strict authoritarian rules, and in fact, the last one even tells you that, and also, they are, I feel, close to universal and relatable, but at the same time, they're also open to personal interpretation. Um, which is maybe not ideal, but I think we can observe that when people try to create religious rules that are hard and fast and binding and only mean only one thing, that never works. People will always end up interpreting them in whatever way best suits their psychology and emotional experience. So perhaps it is better to have uh, a framework and a structure that says, yes, this is about you. This is about how you feel about these statements and how you want to enact them. And also, again, you know, Satanism is very much about individual people. And so it is uh, on brand to default, to, to defer to that. Yeah, I think my favorite one, I'm pretty sure it was number five, correct me if I'm wrong, that was about science um, and how, you know, like science is, is fact and you shouldn't try to use your beliefs to change science. Because uh, I'm pretty sure it was the Dalai Lama if I'm correct, once said that like if science changes, uh, then it's Buddhism that has to change, not science. And mm -hmm. so it's it's really interesting to see that concept tied into another religion somewhere. Um, I've always really resonated with that. And I know my husband has always resonated with that. So it's I'm sitting here thinking like maybe we're Satanists. <laughs> you <laughs> never was, know. I was thinking uh, long and hard about that. But I like um, that one too, because I apologize for interrupting you, but no. it, that one, talking about the distinctions and, and the, the degree of nuance that I just talked about, it says, you know, a lot of the time when I try to remember what that one says, I'll say, I'll summarize it like, you know, our beliefs should conform to science, but that's not actually what it says. It says, you know, your best scientific understanding. Well, what is our best scientific understanding? For some of us, it might not necessarily be that good. Um, for people, I would guess, working in scientific fields, they would say, well, our scientific understanding is changing all the time. Um, so that can get, you know, you have to think sometimes about what is this really telling me? And why is this something that I identify with? And like I said, those answers can change from person to person. 
Yeah. I, um, the other one that I really love because I know uh, one of the reasons I listened to your show um, is because uh, you talked about number two, which was about justice. And I noticed that your show has a pretty political feel to it on most days. <laughs> uh, would you mind me asking like where those two worlds kind of collide for you? Like, um, has it always been fairly political or was that kind of an after aftermath? Well, um, you know, personally, I believe that religion and politics are intertwined and inseparable. Um, on an individual level, like, you know, we believe obviously in the separation of church and state and uh, look towards a, a secular government that can govern all peoples fairly. But, you know, when you have religious beliefs, they're going to manifest themselves in political actions. So if you believe in bodily autonomy, that you are in charge of your own body, well, then you're probably going to, you know, be pro-choice and, you know, advocate for that. Um, our show has always been political, you know, I mean, we're, come on, we're leftist Satanists from the <laughs> Bay Area, so <laughs> that's what you're going to get out of us. I love all these things. I'm moving to the Bay. I, I would uh, completely agree with what Simone just said, you know, with, um, it's kind of an old saw now to say that the personal is political, but it's true. And uh, something that I also always point out is the fact that religion in America is almost always political, whether you want it to be or not. Anybody who says otherwise is either unclear on what's going on or trying to put one over on you. <laughs> and oftentimes when the subject of politics, political action and activism and Satanism comes up, I, it feels to me that we're employing a double standard. We never hear people say things like, uh, this, this Martin Luther King fellow, was he a religious leader or was he a political activist? Well, of course he was both, and it's a dumb question to ask. You look at the, the Roman Catholic Church, well, are, are they a charitable group or a political group or a religious group? Well, they're all of those things. Also, they're an international crime syndicate. They have a lot of layers. <laughs> Only when it comes to Satanists are we expected somehow to parse those two uh, fields in a way that just does not seem realistic. Mm. And I will say to sort of uh, flip it, um, you know, I think that the left has almost given up on the idea of having religion. Um, you know, the, the right, the conservatives talk about religious values and family values, and it leaves us to go like, hey, we have religion too, and we have families too. Like, you don't get to own those words. So um, again, you know, we have our political beliefs, but you know, they are intertwined with our religious beliefs. And yes, we do have them. Yeah, that's a really interesting concept because now you have me thinking about my own community as far as like the new age world or uh, the metaphysical community. And I, like deep down, I want to say that it is also a fairly left leaning group. Uh, but now that I think about it, I'm sitting here like, I don't know. I think most of them are kind of in the middle. I don't know if I could pin it one way or the other. I, I'm assuming that most Satanists would find themselves to the left, do you think? Well, it, it depends on I know your it's kind of brand. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I believe that you could call uh, the Satanic Temple and similar groups, you know, on the, on the left-hand side of things in both senses of the word. The, <laughs> answer, the answer to that question gets, gets 
there's a big elephant in the room when it comes to that, if you'll pardon that expression in this context, which is that, for example, if you talk to Joe Laycock, who's a religious studies professor in Texas, who just released a book about the Satanic Temple, Speak of the Devil, which is right on, but sitting two feet away from me right now, I'm in the middle of it. Um, he would tell you that his opinion is that Satanism has traditionally been, Satan and Satanism have traditionally been identified with uh, leftist political causes. It was when Anton LaVey, the founder of the Church of Satan, the most prominent and possibly largest, although they don't talk about their membership, uh, Satanist group in the world. And he was a very right-wing, Randian, libertarian, Nietzsche-reading motherfucker. And he kind of created that as a norm that a lot of Satanists gravitate towards. Um, that's a big anomaly historically, but it is a big anomaly. It's hard to get around. So the other thing, of course, that I'll point out is that these things are very relative. I say that as somebody who thinks of himself as very leftist, but spent a significant amount of time today arguing about the uh, primary election with people who <laughs> probably do not view me as all oh, no. based on certain opinions that I have, which you know I feel is a very unfair characterization. But it is true that these things are in the eye of the beholder. So, Simone, are you okay? Yeah, no, I was just saying, oh, no, like, don't. Why, uh, why get into Twitter arguments, <laughs> Daniel? Why do that to yourself? <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I can discuss it another time. <laughs> uh, I'm happy that you brought up um, Anton LaVey because I wanted to ask kind of a little bit, if you don't mind sharing some history about uh, Satanism or like where it comes from, like what, what is the background story? Because I feel like um, I'm familiar with, you know, the Abrahamic roots of who Satan is, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I know anything about where the Church of Satan or the Satanic Temple started. Uh, well, people will argue about this, about uh, the roots of Satanism and who was the first Satanist. Um, some people will tell you that organized Satanism uh, did not really exist before old Anton founded the church in 1966 here in San Francisco. Uh, I disagree with that. I would actually defer to, there's, a, there's an academic named uh, Per Faxneld. I'm probably mispronouncing his name. Um, but he actually writes uh, quite a lot about the sort of 18th, 19th century of Satanism and proto-Satanism, and I find that quite fascinating. Uh, conventionally, traditionally, the idea started probably with uh, the earliest Christian schisms, when you had uh, Gnostic groups and other uh, experiment, what we think of as experimental Christian groups and Jewish sects, who were all arguing with each other over, you know, what the proper way to worship was and what Jesus' message really was. And, and of course, if you know a little bit about the history of Gnosticism, some people believed some wild shit. And when one group got on the outs, or when another group wanted to persecute uh, a group whom they found whose doctrine they objected to, associating and vilifying them by associating them with the devil, which was sort of also a developing idea in those days. We're talking those days being like first or second century common era. Um, and so the allegation of Satanism started as a smear, as a charge against somebody else, as a way of creating outgroups and outsiders, and a way of distinguishing between, you know, we are the true believers, they are the heretics. And in fact, what my big galaxy brain moment a few years ago personally was when I found out that the word heretic actually means choice, um, you know, which was like, right? You know, the doors of perception just opened for me right there. <laughs> Um, and you can see this all throughout history. You can see this in uh, 
you know, in, in conflicts between Protestants and Catholics, you can see this in the witch hunts, you can see this in the Inquisition, you can see this anytime socially that somebody got on the outs, they became associated with Satan. They became, in essentially somebody else's eyes, the Satanist. And so the question is, when did people, the first people, early people, start to self-identify in that way? And again, like I said, uh, people will argue about the history of that. Um, I think if you want to know about uh, about LaVey, he was kind of a San Francisco eccentric, um, lived out in a house that I think he'd heard from his parents in the Richmond district out on the west side, which is a quiet neighborhood. And he had an interest in the occult and in uh, black magic and the history of esotericism. And he started what he called a magic circle where he would invite people into his home, into his big black painted Victorian house and give them lectures about uh, Gnosticism or sorcery. Or I've got a flyer actually that an old timer at one of our events gave us. It was a copy of one that he'd taken down off of a, a tree or a telephone pole in the hate advertising lectures at LaVey's house where it tells you we'd learn all about uh, telekinesis and werewolfism and just all of this wild shit. And that went on for about 10 years. And eventually there is actually, it's a, it was a San Francisco cop who was a, takes credit for one day taking LaVey aside and saying, hey, with all this interesting stuff, you know, you could start your own church. And so he did. In 66, he founded the Church of Satan. And then a few years later, he wrote the Satanic Bible. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, the thing, the Church of Satan as an institution uh, very much reflects the politics and opinions of its founder, who thought of himself as an iconoclast because he was living in San Francisco in the 20th century. And he was surrounded by this, you know, counterculture, by the flower children and by the free speech movement in Berkeley. And he thought of himself actually as the outsider and the activist because he was running contrary to what was, uh, you know, the, the, the perceived political and social norm around him. I think in hindsight, we can see, or I can say that LeVay was probably much closer to the American mainstream as it's developed over the last 50 or 60 years than he would have liked to think at the time. And that some people that are fans of his would say now, uh, but that was his opinion. And so I say, you know, in 1967, San Francisco had the summer of love. And in 1966, LeVay had his spring of contempt because that was really sort of the, sort of the identity they created for himself there. Um, and so they have continued to this day. He died in the late nineties. And then there was uh, a lot of arguing over who would inherit his estate as such as it was at the time and who would become the head of the church of Satan. What would happen to the church of Satan now that this figurehead around who had all been built uh, was gone. And eventually a couple of people inherited the mantle. They moved locations out to New York where I believe they're still based. And um, there is, uh, there are some holdouts. There's for example, one of his, uh, one of Clay's daughters established, which calls the first church of Satan in San Francisco. What's that? It's just the regular church of Satan, but she's in charge. Um, <laughs> in her opinion, you know, representing the, the more, pure original intent of her father versus these unrelated people whom she says is kind of absconded with his legacy and you know they'll argue about that persistently um the Stank temple is a group that was founded around 2013 um and in fact again if you read that book i mentioned by professor laycock he talks all about the the founding there um initially started um as sort of a, a pet project between a few people who were interested in using satanism uh, experimentally as part of art and activism and anarchy and social change and from then it there it grew into something much larger and eventually uh, independent of any other satanic praxis and um, now these days I think usually if you hear about Satanists on the news it's almost always the satanic temple although those distinctions are uh, 
lost on a lot of folks, and I would not necessarily expect otherwise. Um, anyway, I was talking church for a of Satan. Like people know on LeVay's name if they've heard of him. That people know the Church of Satan because um, culturally it's just been around longer. But then they see the Satanic Temple on the news doing stuff now, and it leads to a bunch of confusion. If I understand correctly, the Satanic Temple is the one that was on the news when the whole like uh, Ten Commandments statue went down, yep. and they were going to replace it with a statue of Baphomet. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Cool. Yes, in fact, anytime you see Satanists engaging in the public and political sphere that way, it will almost always be the Satanic Temple, and it will really never be the Church of Satan because one of their uh, tenets today is the fact that they do not believe that Satanists should be involved in things like public action, at least not in ways that identify as Satanists. They feel that's sort of an inappropriate mingling of their very, very private religious practices with public things. Um, they find that very distasteful. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the one time I tried to reach out to the Church of Satan in regards to like chatting with somebody, their website was basically, uh, don't ask us questions, read for yourself, and no, we will not read talk the to FAQ. you. Oh, and I was like- the FAQs. Yeah, I was so shocked. I was like, oh, Okay, no help at all. Don't even, no, no bone to throw. That's fine. I'll just. <laughs> uh, that sounds in character. Yeah. They do, they do have <laughs> folks you can talk to. They got their local mouthpiece here, Raul Anthony, who, I don't know, maybe he talked to you. I have no idea. I don't know him personally. But yeah, that is very much their attitude is, you know, read our 70,000 word FAQ that we created so that we have to talk to as few people as possible. Totally fine with me. I, it's more, I'm learning more than enough uh, right now. <laughs> um, so one other thing that I wanted to ask you is, uh, if you don't mind me getting personal for a second, is um, I love where the Church of Satan started. I love where the Satanic Temple started, but I'd really like to hear more about kind of your stories and where you started versus where you are now. So whoever would like to yeah. start on that. Uh, well, so I grew up in a very secular household. Uh, my dad's a lapsed Catholic. My mom's a lapsed Protestant. Uh, I think I was... I know that I was baptized, but I think it was just a formality. Um, and uh, so growing up, you know, we didn't go to church, uh, except for maybe occasionally Sunday school with some friends. And I just never, even at a young age, was never able to buy into it, to buy into this idea that there's a man in the sky who's watching me and like controls everything. Um, so I identified as an atheist, um, for a long time, you know, once I actually learned the word, I was like, oh yes, that, that fits. Um, I did try to force a Wiccan phase in high school, but it didn't take. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I had always been interested in, you know, the occult in horror movies, um, kind of goth culture. So um, eventually I did end up reading Anton LaVey's The Satanic Bible. And I thought it was interesting. I thought there were some good points in there and I thought that there was some stuff in there that just didn't gel with me. So I kind of put it down and forgot about it. Uh, then I started to see, you know, the Satanic Temple on the news, you know, with their political actions with the, like you mentioned, the Ten Commandments with the Baphomet statue. And I was, you know, as an atheist, as someone who, you know, really resented the encroachment of theocracy into the government, um, I was really intrigued. And so um, I started to kind of follow them on the news. And then uh, a friend of mine linked me to a video. Um, it was a talk by Jex Blackmore, 
who a uh, former spokeswoman for the Satanic Temple. Uh, now she's off doing her own thing. She's a filmmaker, an activist, an artist. And the talk was on Satanic feminism. And it talked about uh, you know, how women and their bodies had been essentially demonized uh, by the culture um, for the whole length of the culture. And I was, I was sold. Um, she was able to put uh, into words like a lot of feelings that I had. And so um, that plus I had a terrible breakup. I decided to go try and get myself out of the house and actually went to a meeting. Um, I'd heard about, uh, then it was called Satanic San Francisco. I'd heard about their, they had an event where uh, on inauguration weekend, I believe they had a Trump pinata that they burned in effigy. And I was like, these people sound cool. And so I went to a meeting and they were cool. Okay. And so you've been a part of, uh, satanic bay area since then uh yeah so i think i've got my three-year satanversary coming up we kind of make jokes about you know our, our satanversary but i just count from the first time i actually attended uh, an in-person meeting in fact yes actually that was just your uh three-year anniversary a couple of weeks ago because it was the march meeting that we first met you that time yeah wow so uh, i'm really surprised i feel like you uh, I mean, three years is a long time. Um, certainly, you can do a lot in three years. I'm just so surprised because the way that you speak about Satanism, I feel almost like it's been much longer than that. Like, I, I'm on, honestly a little shocked that it's been just three years. I think you've been certainly doing amazing work. I mean, I'm not in the community, so I don't know <laughs> who I'm comparing that to, but uh, I, I think that you've certainly been making some big waves. Well, you know, it's funny because we actually started the podcast and I'd only really been active in the group for less than a year. And, you know, at one point, I think I said to Daniel and Tabitha, like, I don't, am I the person to be doing this? Like, I wanted to do a podcast because I had an audio production background and I was really into podcasts. But I'm like, I don't, do I know enough? Like, I had big imposter syndrome. But the joke is kind of that uh, we count Satan years like it, like dog years. <laughs> so I don't know exactly what the conversion is. You know, maybe it's like 6.66 years for every calendar year. That is something so like funny. that. <laughs> um, and also just, you know, like I said before, I felt such a, um, you know, when I, when I heard the tenets and uh, saw the actions on the news and listened to Jax Blackmore's talk, I was like, this is me. This is already me. I don't have to change myself to join. Um, this is already the perfect puzzle piece for me to just snap right into. Um, and so, you know, it just felt so natural. And then in the time that, you know, since I've joined and become active, I've really kind of thrown myself into it. So, you know, doing the show, you're just forced to really consider, you know, um, your own beliefs and do much more research. So to, to chime in on that one, one thing I will say is yeah, it's true. We have not been doing this very long relative to a lot of other people, but to take some words out of Simone's mouth, the point that she raised once that I thought was very good is like, 
we do a lot of work around here at SBA. We've got, you know, two public meet and greets every month. Not right now, obviously, but under ordinary circumstances. We do two episodes of Black Mass Appeal every month. Every month we have some kind of public action. We do ritual actions every three or four months with our rest of our members. Um, every day, you know, like we got a blog that publishes every week. We've got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social media. They're updating daily. We've got the Discord server for Black Mass Appeal that we're on every day. Every single day we're saying something or other. And so it adds up, it adds up over a while. And so, you know, on one it's true, there is no substitute for experience. And uh, certainly as years go by and we do more and more, we will change and hopefully improve. Um, at the same time, we're pretty busy. And the reason for that is because you have to be, because unlike in a conventional mainstream religion, the larger institution, it just does not exist. You know, there are larger groups that you can be a part of and active, but you know, those not have been around for very long either. Even look at the Church of Satan, 53 years, that's nothing. That's, you know, 54 years now. Uh, you know, in historic terms, that, that's the blink of an eye. Um, the only, the Satanism only exists if people do it. You know, it's not something you belong to, it's something you do. So you've got to be active. Otherwise, you know, there's no there there. Yeah, I appreciate that too. I think, um, the one thing that I heard a lot growing up in the church that um, I heard but didn't see was this concept of like faith without works is dead, meaning like you can have all the faith you want, but if you don't do anything, then what good is it? And it sounds like, oddly enough, you, uh, you guys are the ones actually doing the work. You know what you believe and you take it to heart and it just resonates. And so you get out there and you do it. And I think that's the most, the most important part. If your faith doesn't inspire you, if your religion doesn't inspire you to make a change or to take an action, mm, it's not really doing anything. So I appreciate that. I really think it's a, a big deal. Um, Daniel, what about you? Where, uh, where were you pre-Satanic uh, Temple? Oh, well, uh, like Simone, I grew up in a very irreligious environment, a very household where we didn't really talk about religion all that much, except maybe when I asked questions about it, because I was a curious kid. Uh, I will say that all three of us on Black Mass Appeal are unusual in that way, and that we came out of no other religious background. Most of the Satanists you meet are people who have, for one reason or another, been jilted out of other religions, and that informs their perspective an awful lot. Um, and so I actually first learned about atheistic Satanism in college because, you know, obviously liberal public education was my ruin. Uh, I was Not doing right. a class about, I needed some sociology credits for something or another, some jet ed requirement. And there was a class that was about contemporary beliefs in witchcraft. Because when you're looking through the course catalog and you see a listing that says like, you know, uh, witchcraft and devil worship, it's like, fuck yeah, I'm taking that class. And that included in the final the final unit was talking about the satanic panic in the United States in the 1980s and early 90s, uh, which at the time that I was in college was uh, more recent than it was now, and as an example of a contemporary American witchcraft scare. And that also included some information about actual Satanism and how it works in contrast to the urban myths that people believed at the time, and in some cases still do believe. And that was where I learned interesting things like most Satanists do not believe that Satan is real, and I thought that's weird. That's surprising. Why don't I investigate that a little bit? That intrigued me for some reason. Um, and so I, like Simone, I went and I bought this tiny Bible and I read it and I was profoundly disappointed. It's like, all right, this is not for me. But for some reason, the idea stuck with me. It kind of percolated in my brain for over a decade. as something that I just sort of 
passively had this weird mental tango with at the same time around 2015 when most people heard about the Satanic Temple because they were making the news because of the Baphomet monument and I learned more about them and I thought oh yes this is much more in line with these are my people clearly um, but even that was not enough to actually get me involved because I never had religion in my life and as an atheist I didn't feel like I needed it um, it wasn't until uh, meeting a friend until discovering a friend's mutual interest and then becoming involved one step at a time. It's, oh, let's do a satanic ritual at Halloween for fun because we don't have any plans for Halloween because of the coolest people in the world. And then you do that once as a laugh and you think, actually, that was a really good time. Do you want to do that again sometime? And then it becomes, let's meet some more people. Maybe there are more people out here who are interested in this weird thing that we are. And then, you know, then it becomes, let's do a public event. Let's do a political action. Let's meet some other Satanist groups and see if we get along with them. Let's burn Donald Trump in effigy and then let's start a podcast with the people that we've met because they read about that. Uh, and so here we are, you know, so uh, who right. knew, right? Building your own church from the ground up. It's totally fine. <laughs> if you if there's a listener out there who is curious, like what exactly does Satan or the devil have to do with any of what you're talking about? Um, how would you clarify that for somebody? Well, um, Satan is uh, a story, a myth, an aesthetic that uh, really fits in with the kind of spirit of things. Um, Satan was, you know, the first rebel, the first to challenge authority, the first to essentially stand up for himself. Um, and that's something that we still hold to. Like we want to stand up for ourselves. You know, there's that self-interest again. Um, we want to stand up for ourselves and challenge uh, the mainstream. And that's why a lot of, um, you know, people gravitate towards, you know, Satanism because they were rejected by the mainstream. Uh, the mainstream, you know, the uh, I think between 65 and 70% of the United States is self-identifies as Christian and, you know, to varying degrees, but, you know, some people get told by, you know, Christians that, oh, you're gay, you're of the devil, or, oh, you had an abortion, you're, you're a Satanist, you're of the devil. And finally, people just have begun to turn around and go, yes, I'm going to take this word. I'm going to take what you think it means, and I'm going to turn around and use it against you. And Satanism isn't about trolling. You know, that's not the, the whole of it. Um, but it is powerful. And uh, it does kind of, you know, lend this sort of, you know, narrative structure or story that um, we can use. Uh, but as I said before, we know it's a story. I was just going to say, as a queer person, like that really hit home for me um, because I think the idea of taking back uh, a word or taking back an idea or something that's been pushed against you for so long and saying like, you know what, I'm actually going to own that as a super powerful word yeah. or like an empowering moment. I totally understand that. So I'm really glad that you chose to word it that way. It's very, very helpful for me. Uh, I completely agree with Simone. And to that, I would also add... Um, when we think about our, our conventional idea of the myth of Satan as this sort of uh, failed revolutionary and someone who becomes an outsider because of that failure and then has to try to find his own way, I find that a very personal, personally inspiring and moving narrative and idea. And I'm also, again, talking about that suspicion of orthodoxy. I'm suspicious of the people who try to feed you that story because 
is it a kind of convenience that uh, you know the the allegedly the source of all great and moral good in the universe is this eternal divine king, um, and the source of all evil is the rebel, is the revolutionary, is the subversive who wants to upset things and change things? I feel like certain people benefit from the assumptions that are built into that story and those values in such a way that maybe they do not want you thinking about very hard. And I would also point out that um, one of the advantages I would say of an atheistic religion is this idea that your dogma does not have to be very strict. Um, when we talk about who is the devil, well, it depends on what sources that we're employing. If you talk to somebody like me, I will cite things like art and literature and popular culture, which I think are actually much more formative about our ideas of who the devil is than traditional religious thought. And I, I point to sources like, uh, you know, John Milton's Paradise Lost, in which the devil is antagonistic, but he's also this very flawed and relatable human character who has this sort of internality that nobody else has. It is so, so easy to sympathize with. Or you look at a book that's very important, The Satanic Temple, The Revolt of the Angels by Anatole France, in which Satan is this beautiful, compassionate person because he represents human material lived experience in contrast to God, who is very sober and ascetic and, and grave and isolated all the time. We look at somebody like uh, the Italian poet Carducci, who Satan as a metaphor for the rise of atheism and the decline of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, I could go on about this all day, but the point being, you know, if you divorce yourself from the idea of Satan as a literal spiritual figure and start thinking about him more as a metaphor or a symbol, you start to realize one devil is not necessarily any better than any other. And the one that seems the most real to you is probably the one that's going to reflect who you are the most as a person. And so that is a very powerful experience. And so the first time I read The Seven Tenets, I had the reaction, I thought, that's nice, but what's that got to do with Satan? I didn't get it until I started reading a little bit more of the sources that they were drawing on when they came up with those. And I realized, okay, this is one way. This is one way to interpret that myth and those ideas. And uh, it's a way that works for me. But there are a lot of other ways for a lot of other people that are, you know, at least hypothetically, as valid. When you pointed out the idea of a rich and powerful and all-knowing king and then versus like a rebel or a revolutionary, I have never, I mean, I grew up, like I said, in the church my entire life, and I have never looked at those two opposing forces in those specific terms. And I'm sitting here now thinking, wow, like this was all it was all just to keep people quiet. <laughs> I'm just like shocked at the concept of a revolutionary versus a king. I'm, uh, you have truly left me speechless. I don't even know what else to say about that. <laughs> You're gonna wake up inside one of those matrix pods in a second. <laughs> I am, I'm totally gonna be like, it was, it was the other door all along. I took the wrong pill, like what is happening? Um, I do wanna ask you guys, it's my favorite question to ask guests um, before I let you go, uh, in your journey, of whether it be pre-Satanism uh, or current day, if you had to boil your entire spiritual or non-spiritual experience down into one piece of advice uh, for the listeners, what do you think that that would be? Um, this might be simplistic, but don't be a dick. Oh, you know? yes. <laughs> don't be a dick. Don't be a, you know, don't be a dick to other people. Leave other people people alone let them you know be free to worship who they want or you know not worship who they want um let them be free to do what they want with their body let them be free to you know love who they love just don't be a dick come on guys <laughs> i love uh, that i would say 
my one piece of advice would be don't ever let anyone tell you there's only one way to do things. Don't let anybody tell you there's only one way to be right. You know, that orthodoxy is something you should always be reflexively suspicious of and maybe be a little bit suspicious of the people who are trying to push you towards that because, um, I mean, I, I can't see into people's hearts and I don't know what their intentions are, but I definitely know from experience who you should be a little bit more careful of. That is a really good one too. I think um, I could have used that advice about 10 years ago. So thanks Daniel for that. My earlier me appreciates it. <laughs> so if people want to learn more about Satanism, what is the best way for them to, uh, to find you? Well, um, they could always start out by listening to our podcast, Black Mass Appeal. It's on all the traditional podcatchers out there. Um, our website is blackmassappeal.com. And you can find us as Black Mass Appeal on all the social media. Um, there's also a link on Black Mass Appeal's contact page that goes to our Discord server where uh, we have you know, folks just hanging out in some channels they talk about serious Satan stuff and then some channels they share pictures of their cats. So it's a good time to be had by all. Okay. If you want to find out more about Satanic Bay Area, check us out at satanicbayarea.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Satanic Bay Area. Follow us on Twitter. The handle there is at SatanicSF. And then, of course, if you check our Google Calendar, you will keep tabs on all of the upcoming events that we have here locally. Of course, the way things are right now, we're not as busy as we used to be, but we are still trying to find ways to virtually engage the community because no matter what's going on, you got to keep doing the devil's work. It's not going to do itself. <laughs> that is so funny well i hope that a lot of people come and find you that they join that discord server i love a good picture of a cat so i'm down to be there um and thank you for doing the devil's work thank you thank you all right all right that was my conversation with simone and daniel from black mass appeal Thanks again to the two of them for taking time out of their busy schedules to chat with me. They honestly taught me a lot, and they have given me so many new perspectives on a subject that I never thought that I would dive into, so thank you, Simone and Daniel, for your time. To check out more from Black Mass Appeal, you can find them on Instagram, at Black Mass Appeal, or find them on their website, blackmassappeal.com. While you're out there clicking around on the internet, please also take some time to follow me on Instagram at The Diviner Life or head over to thedivinerlife.com slash podcast to learn about becoming a podcast patron today. I'm really looking forward to upcoming season three, and I will be taking a short break while I gather up some new interviews and conversations. So please stay tuned. Make sure that you're subscribed so that you don't miss out. Thanks for listening. Remember to share with your friends, your family, maybe some rebels or revolutionaries or whoever else you come in contact with today. Don't forget that I love you. I mean that. I love you. I appreciate you. I really mean that. I appreciate you. And until next time, be true, be you, be omnist. <laughs>